What's up guys, for today's guest we've got my good friend, actor and producer Jacques Dersena. He's worked on multiple films and TV shows, one of my favorites being HBO's show The Wire. He's also produced a ton of projects, with the most recent one being Son of South, alongside executive producer Spike Lee. He's a multilingual artist who speaks French and English, and there's a good chance you've heard his voice on any given cartoon or commercial. And if you can, please show support by clicking that subscribe button down below. It helps a lot. feedback anything uh, I know baby's running around so you might hear a little bit of that is, there a, is there a delay quiet. between us no it's okay no. cool okay <laughs> you no. made me think there was a delay you're like no it's it's pretty quiet cool. it's, it's pretty quiet in your background for now yeah, <laughs> yeah for now um it's funny because I was talking to uh my friend joy uh, on the podcast uh, a couple episodes back and we had such a delay that every time I would say something there you know it's like that newscast delay <laughs> when they're like I'm back to you George and George is just standing there <laughs> like waiting <laughs> right oh, that's but, funny. well I'm glad glad we're up to speed um, so what's new dude I, I don't know I've, I've, we haven't chatted in a while so I just wanted to touch base with you and see what's going on I saw your uh was it Harvard commercial no not commercial Harvard at uh, what was it? Because I, I I went I went to um, business school online. Oh, okay. So you actually went for it? Yeah. Ah, that makes yeah, more sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can never tell if it's like an ad, like a commercial, or a job, or a personal. Life. Right, right. You never. Yeah, know. right. In our in our world, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's a nice right. car. Like, you know, a nice car you're driving. What commercial are you shooting for? Like, no, I just spot that car. <laughs> right. It could go either way. That's what's funny about it. It could go either way. Either yeah. it's an ad or no, this is actually mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Vice versa. Oh, that's a nice car you bought. You're like, no, I'm just sitting in it for a commercial. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's dope, dude. Did you finish? So you signed up for it or have you finished already? I finished it. Oh, good um, for you, man. Congrats. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, it actually, it was good because it, it it was on business, so it, um, entrepreneur it right. really like really helps how to evaluate a business mm -hmm. and from every aspect and looking at all businesses uh -huh. and how they scale and you get a, a, a good you know worldview of how to really grow a business and and to know when to pivot you know yeah. so it's a it's mind opening you know it's like right it's crazy because like i think everyone that's in business mm -hmm. they all follow that same formula but it's just like if you're from the outside you don't you only see the end result you don't know how it's happening right you, you know yeah exactly you you don't know the from start to finish how to start a business or run a business. Exactly. Yeah. What is uh, the quote? Uh, Entrepreneurs work 100 hours for themselves so they don't have to work 40 hours for someone else. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that hits home. Yeah. Because entrepreneurship yeah. and building a business, you work double overtime, triple overtime. Like, you're constantly working. I know there's been times I've been in the shower and I've had to, like, do emails and reply to people in the shower <laughs> don't have enough time to do everything right yeah right. so but you I mean that, that 
that's okay. what um if anything like with any you know corporation or business or whatever it's like somebody had to do it right you know like meaning like there's there, at some point somebody started it where it became a conglomerate for now for all these other people even though all these other people are in all these other positions but someone at the beginning was the one-man band of doing everything right somebody had to start it somebody had to start it. or or a couple of people had to start it, but somebody had to have oh, a couple spark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's smart yeah, yeah. right um, which is interesting because the um, acting world um, is like entrepreneur in itself because you are your own business uh, in the film industry, even director, whatever, writer, whatever you are, um, you are your own business. So you've kind of already got the gist of that, but this is more running a company or starting a yeah. business from scratch, paperwork and all that stuff. But it also helps you too, um, especially being an entrepreneur like just like you said since we're not acting in entertainment we're we're self-entrepreneurs with that because there's no one that's like giving the road that you're literally just creating this all on your own but on your own but mm -hmm. you may not be for something else right so it actually helps you in a sense of like if you can get some more business acumen of because it can save you in a lot of errors you know mm -hmm. of course avoid the headaches and the errors and the financial mistakes you right. know we're all for it right so yeah it's it's, it's interesting and, and what's on top of that too because like i follow a lot of um uh reed hastings um who uh who's a original ceo owner and founder of netflix okay yeah, yeah. so he was the one that originated Netflix and then he hired um, Ted Sarantos like I think like six or seven years into Netflix and like in 2000 he hired him mm -hmm. and that's when they took off from implementing going from DP to digital to digital yeah. right and like I his business model and it's interesting like it it's different Netflix the way they it's it's very different the way that Netflix he just came out with a book and it's like it's it's starting to circulate uh literally like I think just within a couple of days ago and he did an interview and um it's interesting the way he's talking about how to run how he runs how they run Netflix mm -hmm. and uh it's a bit controversial in one sense there are there are a lot of perks and rewards because he his first thing he says is that everyone has to prove themselves to stay in their position. So no one is immune up getting fired. If they're not up mm -hmm. to par, they need to be let go. Right. You know, so, um, which, I mean, I get it. It's in the business, but uh -huh. in that sense, he wants the competition levels to be higher and he wants the best people working for him. Right. So, but the thing is, it's a constant evaluation, he said. So it's not like, oh, okay, I proved myself this year, I'm good. No, next year, you can be out. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, so it's like you always have to be on your toes. Always have to perform, yeah. Always have to perform, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he does give good incentives um, for that, where it's like he said, make sure you treat your employees, not just like employees that you mm -hmm. actually 
give them the you know incentives of like you're thinking for them before they even have to say anything for for instance as far as like one of the common things employees are like okay i want to raise i feel like i deserve a raise he are he implements giving employees raises before they even have to come to him. oh okay yeah so he, it's like he's already thinking ahead of like how to really treat his his team and his people before mm-hmm. you have to voice your opinion on that and really like taking care he's a big advocate about taking care of yourself whether it's like taking vacations and all that stuff too and mm-hmm. they would pay for that too so it's, it's interesting that aspect mm-hmm. i mean clearly not every company could do that right because <laughs> right? that like everyone's in that position but it's an interesting dynamic culture of like how does that work morale wise for everyone that's in that circle and that business yeah it's interesting uh it, what's funny is that um what was it blockbuster blockbuster mm-hmm. had the chance to buy netflix before they pivoted to digital uh-huh. for i think 50 million and they opted not to and mm-hmm. now what blockbuster's long gone bankrupt and uh netflix is worth billions of dollars now right 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 so that's yeah business the business world in the uh, Harvard um, Business School, did you learn? Um, well, I'm sure you did uh, economics and all that stuff of this of the business. Well, it, it the economics, the scaling, and being able the pivot aspect, which is mm-hmm. is challenging for a lot of people and businesses. Which you know, for instance, like we said with the Blockbuster, yeah. they didn't have the vision of seeing that they need to adapt and pivot to. Right. what's to come right. they were in a lot and the businesses that stay on that model unfortunately become dinosaurs yeah you know where um reed and, and ted they're they had the foresight i mean he's reed stated that he had the foresight of knowing that at the time internet was slow i mean we're talking like you know it wasn't yeah, you could i mean dream. actually i think it was still dialogue at the time when they were, yeah, it was dial-up. Dial-up it, was, it wasn't like even to DSL. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even because we're talking 2000. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't, you know, so at the time he, he was, uh, because he was trying to recruit Tess Marcos and he was mentioning how the internet is going so much faster and a lot of things are going to be online, digital. And at the time, you know, it's, this sounds like, you know, a back to the future kind of like Jetson situation. It's right. like really, because <laughs> we, you know, we're nowhere near that. At, or they're thinking point. 20 years later. 20 years But later. really it was within the last or the couple of years after that, that everything just went full steam. Man, I, can, I remember when we started our business, our businesses, it was such, such a headache to, like you said, learn, like there's no guide, there's no way to to learn without kind of jumping in and just doing it and so I just had to learn myself basically just researching as much as I could just trying to get it get it going you know even applying for the LLC and doing all the paperwork that's such a headache just to even do that and like you said that's the back end the people don't even see that part of it they just see a business that you've created they don't see all the time and effort that went into filling out paperwork and getting your domain registered and LLC and your address and 
looking for a location and just everything that goes into it signing a lease and build out doing a build out if you have new construction and uh, it's crazy the amount of work that goes into just opening a door it's, to a it's like that might you're fail. creating you're creating a sim world from Basically, scratch yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. like yep. it's it's yeah it's like you said it's all on you uh so it's a lot of information and research on your part where, yeah you know it's it's it, it can it's rewarding at the same time where once you're in it and you pass certain you're able to do certain things as far as like starting a business and you're into the business yeah and now you have i, I don't know if you I'm, I'm pretty sure you have like some level of satisfaction of seeing like where you started of like mm-hmm. how am i going to do this to now like it's not even like a point of, of assessment like you're already into it and you're just like to the next level yeah yeah, yeah. we're way past that point yeah because they say they say that businesses have um on average two years before they actually start but when you start the business open your doors two years if you're going to make it or break it is what they usually give sometimes three years even so you could not be profitable for the first two maybe three years if you make it past that point then you start to look back and realize okay this this boat is sailing like it's not sinking so that's a good thing a lot of businesses start out within the first year or two um, close because that's the hardest time it's just starting out mm-hmm. and and the funny thing is is like you said people don't see the back end but i know i took we took at least a year of prepping so i'm talking about doing the paperwork designing the website getting everything ready before we even started building the business so it was a whole year of preparation to interior design to products to everything that was going into the business was all thought out ahead of time even measuring furniture to where it was going to be placed on the floor to how far away from it was going to be from this table to that table to this door like everything was thought out a year in advance so that that way when we opened the business and started the business it was like boom here's our business plan here's this here's that here's the blueprints here's the layout and like it was more of a, a guide more of a blueprint to go off of but yeah, we're looking back now five years later. So we've managed to make it through. So yeah, that's yeah. that's a good mark to be past five years. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you passed the, like you said, the point of no return. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I and, mean, then, and then COVID hits and everybody is forced to close. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, um, about about that thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just crazy. The crazy thing too is it depends on what type of business you're opening. But I'm speaking in terms of just like a brick and mortar, yeah, opening a location. Yeah, but a lot of businesses nowadays are either a product, so they have an actual product to sell, which most of the times they just have it online that they're selling it. Maybe they're building it out of their garage or their house, or they'll rent like a small warehouse space. Um, but they don't have a storefront like a brick and mortar um, or a restaurant or anything like that like a retail shop Uh, and then the other kind of things are an online business like a Netflix you know like like those type of businesses where it's all done online there's no storefront well you know what's interesting Um, I saw I'm I'm seeing pivoting wise as far as like businesses especially COVID kind of 
open that up a little bit to some people that are they're able to see, okay, this is where we can transition with this. Yeah. As far as whatever we read it, you know, the brick and mortar situation, I mean, it's affected because of this and people, you know, based on the guidelines that people can actually go, if it's open or not, that's one thing. The online stuff, right? Um, well, depending on what state we're in, because I, right. I guess like not every state is the same, right? So, yeah. yeah. Or it, and I should break down not every county. There are some counties true too. that have different rules uh, and regulations. Um, one thing I'm, I'm noticing now where businesses are are getting hip to it, where Netflix opened it up um, as far as the subscription based on. Right. Um, it's. It seems more, you know, like, I mean, both, both the consumer and the actual business, they both benefit from it. I mean, you have, you know, you grow in your number of subscribers. So you have a, a monthly retainer from people that are subscribing. Granted, they can unsubscribe at any moment, but, yeah. um, <laughs> depending on your, your model, I mean, cause Netflix has it. Amazon always had it with their. Uh, what is it like? Uh, I think Amazon Prime dollars a year. Amazon Prime, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and, which uh, gave a lot of in- incentive. Incentive, yeah, yeah right. Like free, free uh, shipping. Yeah, you know? and um, Adobe did that as well. Oh, with their okay. software. So they were the first ones to kind of do that with their software, where instead of purchasing the software and you own that software, now it's a subscription model, but you get all their software. Oh. You don't just get like you don't just get Photoshop. Or Lightroom, or After Effects, or Premiere. Um, now you can subscribe to the whole house of apps that they make. That's it. But you have, but it's a revolving, it's constantly revolving, so you constantly have to subscribe every year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in one sense, it's for a consumer. I mean, it, it depends on what you know. Do you do you find yourself like shopping or going to this stuff frequently, where it's it's more beneficial for you to? To, to subscribe and to a la carte, you know, um, where now you're really able to take advantage of all the incentives that are, that are being offered to you in the subscription, you know, right. model, right? So right. like the other people that obviously that jumped in, Disney jumped in into the same subscription model as well, mm-hmm. their uh, platform and uh, Walmart recently. The Walmart stock, I was actually interested in looking into that because they are pivoting um not necessarily to compete with amazon but it is it is competing with amazon because they're doing same day shipping pickup and the thing is is they have a little upper hand on amazon because amazon only has warehouses you can't go to any amazon and like purchase something except for the grocery stores that they bought uh for groceries uh but walmart does walmart has the warehouses and the storefronts so yeah, you can order absolutely. and go to the store and pick it up. Absolutely. So if absolutely. you live in a place where your packages are getting stolen constantly or it's hard for them to deliver to you or whatever the case may be, you can just ship to store and go pick up the store. Amazon doesn't have that feature. That's Yeah, that's right. And Amazon it's doesn't have groceries yet either. Well, it's interesting you say that too because um, a couple of years, it's only been, it hasn't been that long, it's only been a couple of years ago where... Um, Remember, Kinkos was a standalone by itself. Yeah, they they merged with FedEx. FedEx. It's like 
yeah. it changed the game now like just what you're saying because it's like now you can schedule to pick it up at a 24-hour place yeah yeah so it's really it's i think it's about what's happening now is showing the convenience aspect of like with what you're saying is like how convenient is it for because everyone's situation is different as far as their work life family life balance mm -hmm. so when they have something that they're they're trying to fit in whether it's the, to get a product that they ordered or they're they're trying to fit in to watch a specific program or whatever it's like it's not it can't be done all at the same time um right. which kind of brings you back to netflix a little bit because um one of their mo their their base model how they separate themselves from regular public broadcasts um or, or cable as well because those are all done on nielsen ratings right they're all mm -hmm. based on the numbers and they're done on a bubble where it's like if the first episode doesn't give good numbers they're on a chopping block mm -hmm. uh if it's on on regular you know channels prime time or broadcast or cable whereas if it's on netflix because this is a library that you can literally watch at any moment at any time. So it's not like it doesn't have to compete at a specific time slot. Whereas like now if, if you know, it's, it's, let's say it premieres at a certain, it's the premiere dates on a regular TV show for a regular broadcast. They have to do a lot of advertising. They're, they're, they're wishing that a lot of people will watch it when it comes out otherwise that shows the trouble whereas mm -hmm. for netflix whenever it advertises a new film or a new show is out now it's up to you to binge watch it whenever you want right and they don't have a set time frame because of the they don't have a set time frame. yeah 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 and they actually release that they keep that information private to themselves and they release it whenever they want to yeah so they could be like oh this movie streamed this many this month you know <laughs> right and it's 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 interesting um their model with that too because like you said they keep the data to themselves yeah and they with that ex experience of and data now they can actually see like okay which actors directors are performing very well mm -hmm. and how can we get more products from them so now they can actually go to the table with them and try to just like when they started with um, house of cards um and they've been doing a lot more things recently where now they're able to because the most recent biggest before they started giving out these what we would call max contracts and netflix yeah. uh they gave uh the first person i think was adam sam they started with adam sandler when they they signed him on to do all these movies where yeah. everyone's like he's a, he, he does theatrical movies like now you're looking at the netflix but they're they already had the data to show that hey a, our core audience all over the world loves adam sandler yeah. so <laughs> so they already knew to give him a contract they already knew to give him a contract yeah, yeah. they didn't have to test the market after the fact right 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 which is smart for them and uh, another smart thing that they did which i mean we'll see i mean time will tell is they dumped a lot of money into their own production because they were leasing uh, or contracting films from other 
studios like Disney, which is why half that stuff got pulled from Netflix. Netflix for a while didn't have any decent stuff to offer because all the other studios were doing their own streaming services like Disney. Um, so it was smart for Netflix to realize that ahead of time and start pumping money into their own productions that they own the rights to. Granted, it put them uh, millions and billions of dollars into debt, <laughs> but they also make billions of dollars, so I'm sure they'll come out of that. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's interesting here with that because they're able to take a lot more risks in types of uh, stories that they're able to tell because right. they're not they're not being um, cornered into uh, a specific time slot or mm -hmm. a mandate. Of a, I mean, they're they're they've scaled because they still had issues reaching out to different countries, especially in, uh, in France, because mm -hmm. uh, France law was that if any film that goes to a film festival and it would have to be played there. And one of the things that they that was happening in Cannes Festival is that originally when Netflix would show up at the film festival and, and they would acquire it, they would want to release it on their online platform. And there was kind of, there's kind of a, there's a model that's changed because originally there was a, a, a day and date release between theatrical and online release. Typically it was, it's between three to six months and yeah. we're talking in the US. We're not even talking internationally. Internationally, it'd probably take a year or more. So by the time it comes out to another country, a year and a half later, you know, uh, that's what, that was the model. But Netflix was like, well, we don't want our customers to have to wait mm -hmm. for an entire year. So we're just going to put that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and which was a big disruptor in a lot of um, European um, areas where they're like, well, that's not fair to us because they're all about the cinema aspect. Yeah. Um, they're especially with the um, production aspect because in America like as we are independent filmmakers unless you're working for the studio model that's giving you, you know backing and a budget and all that stuff it's different whereas a lot of countries in Europe we're going you know from the BBC to a lot of other you know and Spain they're actually backed by the government mm. to produce projects so they were different, you know. They they're you know they're they're backed by that. Whereas us, it's, it's we have to find a way to make it. However, you make it. Yeah, I wonder how that works. How does that work in other countries if they're backed by the government? Is there does the government have a say in a lot of it? Like like a studio head would. Like are they regulated? How does that work? Are yeah, there grants? Yeah, it's it's a combination of all that grants, um, tax incentives, okay. um, and depending on how involved they're going to get in the project where if they want to get fully involved where they're fully financed, but for the most part, they do get involved with grants and tax incentives and, and really try to shepherd it because they're really about the, the thing about a lot of those other countries that they're not they don't have the window of having as much outlets as America. 
right. just like with what you just mentioned, Disney and Amazon and Hulu. I mean, all of these are, are in America. We're, just, it, we're not even talking the cable outlets, mm-hmm. you know, HBO and Showtime. These are all, you know, outlets that your projects can be seen if they get accepted. And as opposed to the other parts of the world where they actually have to work with the local governments to uh, to meet their guidelines. Um, and the other thing too is a lot of the other countries, they, they kind of look at it as a way it's like, okay, I know you produce this project in your country, but we don't want you to just come in our country, <laughs> right? And just like make money off of it and then pack your bags and leave. Like, what is an incentive for us? You know? Yeah. And so that's how they look. That's probably how they look at Netflix. And Netflix comes in and buys the film and then says, hey, we're going to release it all over the world on our platform. Exactly. Yeah. So they, Netflix has had to make adjustments because of that. Um, recently in the last four years, four or five years, I would oh, say. That's, for- that's, so that's probably why then if you, if you have a VPN, which is a virtual private network, so you can change your IP address on your computer um, to a different country. So like you can change your IP address and say you're from France. So therefore, when you log into Netflix, it's going to think your computer's in France and you'll get a whole different streaming s- selection based off of that, based off your country origin. Yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, that makes sense. That's yeah, probably they, why. Uh, they, and they, they, so because of that situation, and of course, it's interesting because they're all in, they're all in a, in a sense of competition. I yeah. mean, it's just like sports. Yeah. I mean, they all, from all the, the heads from Ted to like, you know, um, all the other heads of all the programming for all the other cable networks and primetime, mm-hmm. um, when you had Les Moonves, you name it, all of them. You know, they, at the end of the day, they all want their network to be number one. Where, you know, this we're getting the most watch shows, we're getting the most Emmy nominations, you know, uh, and wins. And so Netflix had to, because of the European country situation, so they actually opened up by producing original content in those countries to work with those countries to produce it. Um, so that they can show that, hey, we're not just setting up shop just to get your, your subscribers in your country. We yeah. are actually going to invest in your country and yeah. by promote, your country and your culture. promote your country and your culture and do original programming. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think even on our Netflix in America, there's a lot of Bollywood films because they, they produce so much Bollywood films. And some of them are really good, like production-wise. Um and so there's a lot of those and then you'll see a lot of Asian cinema on there now too so you'll see a lot of different cultures on there now even in the American Netflix yeah, yeah. they're expanding they're expanding mm-hmm. I mean it is it's costly once yeah. again but right I mean because all this stuff costs yeah. but as they keep getting more subscribers it's interesting at that aspect because you had mentioned earlier about content wise because it's it's almost a it's a gift and a curse with that because it's based on content and you have to have enough content to, for people to stay on there. Yeah. So who you has the most content? Mm-hmm. Who has the most content to yep. you know for people yep. to want to stay on this platform? 
Yep, that's why I was so excited about Disney um, releasing or launching Disney Plus, and then finding out that they purchased Fox, which, and also the shares of Hulu. So they own the majority of Hulu. So they Disney owns Fox and Hulu. And, you know, it's gonna be a massive streaming service when all is said and done. What do you think is gonna happen with movie theaters? Well, <laughs> it's uh, it's already they already the ones that were able to have uh, done. They started transitioning to drive-ins for the home. Uh, yeah, to do the drive-in theaters experience, which in a sense it takes you back to where we were. We weren't born, but of course we mm. we uh, watch all those clips of when you know our the the previous generation before us mm-hmm. used to go to movie theaters in their cars yeah right and yeah. watch it on a big old screen so it, it's it's interesting i mean we've heard that term of like things that were things to seem to be in our circle the past <laughs> I didn't think we actually meant for this to happen. <laughs> we always revisit the past. Or past we always the revisit back. the past, right? People are wearing '80s and '90s clothes, and we're going to drive-in movie theaters like it's the '50s. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, we're short of some of of you know men and women showing up at roller skates and coming by our cars with food, right? Yeah, basically. That's a that's a very small number, a very small number of theaters though that can have the outdoor space to do that though. I know a lot of movie theaters that are, you know, indoors in malls and in in uh, shopping complexes. That I don't know what's going to happen with those. I know AMC just finally started opening some of their uh, movie theaters back up, and that's, I mean, that's one of the biggest movie theaters in the country, uh, biggest chain, uh, and they're doing like five dollar Tuesdays or something like that, like five dollar movie tickets. Uh, so yeah, they're trying to get people back in the movie theaters, but. It's know. tough. It's tough, especially. Yeah. So you mentioned the big name chain like AMC. You know, you have the Cinemarks where now it's it's changed the dynamic of like for independent um, cinema because the way that a lot of these theaters used to work was that they would get a lot of the major film blockbuster films in their theaters because based on their distribution, they get a certain percentage with the uh, distribution companies right yeah so they would fill up you know depending on the theaters let's say the theaters had anywhere between eight screens or some of them had you know less than that four or five Mm. so um the bigger ones could afford to fill up six screens with blockbusters and have two screens with independent cinema because Mm -hmm. then they're like you know, they know if there's people are gonna come by the droves to come watch these big blockbuster films, mm-hmm. and they can be they're probably in the nicer theaters where you know very nice seats, all the accommodations, and all that stuff. So they're willing to pay that extra sixteen, twenty five dollars, and you know whatever the price it is, and it keeps going up, mm-hmm. right? Whereas they would have the other two other the last two screens, they they can have independent cinema where they know it's not going to be as big of a turnout because yeah. this isn't a big feature film. This is a studio film, but it, it might have quality and it gives the opportunity for independent filmmakers to showcase their project where now it's, it's tough because mm-hmm. that window has been, it's, it's 
it's very narrow at this moment because now right. you know the theaters actually need the blockbusters to get people in because now just like you said if you're doing two dollar what is it two dollar tuesdays or something five dollar tuesdays, $5 tuesdays. <laughs> but it should be two dollar tuesdays it should be two dollar tuesdays right? <laughs> yeah a prime example is um milan disney's <clears throat> milan so they were set to release that in theaters and i, I want to say it was france um a lot of the theaters in france or one of the countries was already marketing and doing promotions for Milan to be in theaters. And that was supposed to bring a lot of people into the theaters, which it, it, it would have. And the Disney pivoted at the last minute and said, you know what, we're just going to release it on our streaming service, Disney plus. <laughs> and so that hindered movie theaters even more. So not only if they show blockbusters, they have more room to show independent films, but it's up to the studios if the studios are even going to show the blockbusters in the theaters. So their movie theaters are hindered hugely. They kind of just have to pivot, like we were saying earlier, and, and figure out more independent films that they can show in theaters and try to get some sort of revenue in, in there. Yeah. Well, I can see on the aspect of for, for Disney's mom how the, the issue that they have, especially during this pandemic, is that like any block, big blockbuster film like that, they, they're spending print and advertising, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the bigger the film, a film like that, they're probably spending anywhere between 15 to $20 million in print and advertising, with all the trailers right. on TV and stuff. And you get to a certain point where like, well, how many people do we actually think can go to these theaters? Because when they're, they're make their, you know, mm -hmm. to just have France, be the only place that 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 many people can go to the theaters yeah. they didn't they don't invest that much money they have only one area right. in the entire world to to do it yeah. right well, yeah i guess yeah so they're not they weren't um necessarily um trying to keep the profits for themselves but their numbers would be completely skewed especially here in the states in america because certain states you can't even go to a movie theater they're not open exactly. um so if they do release it in theaters a, only a certain number of theaters are open, a certain percentage. B, a lot of people are still scared of the COVID, you know, stuff going on, and they Absolutely. don't even want to go out to the theaters that are open. So their numbers would be vastly skewed, which could make them and the film look bad. Oh, it only grossed this amount, you know. Right. And then I also think second backflip of that coin is they're trying to test the market to see if they can release things just digitally. Yeah. Well, it and also then, helps them in a sense of like, because remember... The, the other earlier big release they had was Hamilton, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that really, the fact that they were able, so they had Hamilton and they were able, because I think they originally, they wanted again to do that theatrically, but then had mm -hmm. to quickly pivot and just release it on their platform. So right. it benefits them because a lot of people know about this project. It's a, it's a big name, whether it's Hamilton or Bond. But then when you put the, hey, it's on our platform, come subscribe. Right. So now you're like, okay, at least we'll get, even if we get a couple people that are curious about subscribing, mm -hmm. that still helps us. Because once the, 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 the thing about, it's just like with any business, right? You want to get people in because the hardest part is trying to get people to, 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 to initially try 
whatever service that you're giving. Right, right, Once right. you get them in, then you're like, well, at this point now I can feed them more because now they're in, now they're in the palm of my hand. So now it's like, now I can show them, right. you know, this is, this is why you made a good decision. It's the, it's the customer acquisition. Yes. It's yes. more about acquiring the customer first and the retention of keeping the customer. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so at this point, when they, when they, uh, put at the end of their trailers and they're trying to advertise them like, Hey, only on Disney plus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So now everyone else, well, I gotta subscribe to it because I actually want to yeah. see this, mm-hmm. you know? So that can, you know, even if, even if people decided to subscribe for one month, it still helped their, their, their numbers, mm-hmm. their financials and all that stuff go up really well. I mean, they released that. They even released, um, Beyonce's Black is King and that did yeah. very well for them. So they've been, even they've trolls? been really, yeah. Like trolls 2 or something like that. Trolls 2, cartoons. yeah. 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 So they've been releasing some big contenders as far as films to really get people to, you know, so you may have some people that jump in immediately and some people are like, well, I don't know. And then mm-hmm. when they see a second big project come up and now their curiosity is like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> they actually have two things that I'm curious <laughs> about. <laughs> I was on the fence before. Was, right. But you right. talked me into it, Disney. You talked me into it this time, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what their numbers are because I know uh, they got, I think, 50 million subscribers in the first quarter whatever it was first year that they launched disney plus they already got 50 million subscribers and in counting i mean the the difference between them as well as a lot of other streaming services too is i mean they have history way beyond from everyone else (laughs) i mean that's a game changer yeah when when you have that kind of history that's dating back such a long time and you have multiple amusement parks already across the world where it's mm. like it's it's they have you know at this point it almost feels like whatever new thing that they come up with they're they're gonna have people that's gonna be jumping on yeah definitely that's one of the hardest parts about their stock too is that um a lot of the revenue comes from the theme parks and for the last five six months they've been forced to be closed so they're not generating that revenue from their theme park. So they're showing like $2 billion loss or something like that for the quarter. So yeah, that's the rough part. But with the streaming and all that stuff kind of coming up, that should help alleviate some of that pain. Well, yeah, that's, it's an interesting point you brought with that. I mean, like you said, it is their, their extreme main point of bread and butter mm-hmm. via all these amusement parks, but once again, the difference between them and what Blockbuster didn't do is their <laughs> pivotness, right? Yeah, they, they went digital. They we were talking, pivot. it all yeah. comes back full circle. They went digital and, yep. you know, they, they're, they're, they're able to pivot with that. So that's, that's what really helps. Yeah. Um, since you went to Harvard Business School um, and finished that, um, I know you already, you're part of Triangle Road Entertainment or you own Triangle Road Entertainment. What uh, what business would you open? Or what business would you do moving forward? Outside of entertainment? Uh, or anything. just it, it could be a flower shop. Uh, anything. Oh. Any, anything you're thinking of. What business would you open? Or well, just something proprietary that you don't want to speak of? 
<laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting because we just had a big talk about this new, like, this whole other group of uh, this new business um, proposition last night. Mm. And uh, it's what what I learned in, in, in uh, Harvard Business Online is it's interesting as far as the right questions to ask to evaluate this. Um, and because I were given real life examples of, of seeing how businesses can really scale and what you can take advantage of. I mean, being an independent business, you want to use as much resources that you have available to you mm-hmm. that, you know, initially if you have free, mm-hmm. you know, or, or anything that's, you know, less, you know, that's less costly, you want to try to do that. So it's, and one of the things that I brought up, which I saw with a lot of companies, it, it's two situations. I mean, it is, it is a very big commitment. Mm-hmm. It's hard to just go into a business and be like, hey, okay, I'm just going to do this thing where it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. Right. It's like, there's no, there's no, you know, one foot in and one foot out. Like if you want this thing to work. There's no easy button or any quick way of doing it. It's sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. It's sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. So mm-hmm. the thing about that is, what is your strategy? Is there an exit strategy um, behind the business that you're trying to do? You know, mm-hmm. where it's like, do you, so because one of the things we were taught because we, we uh, actually looked at all these different entrepreneurs uh, very successful entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs like Elon Musk, um, to uh, Steve Jobs, to uh, Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. and um, Mark Cuban. And one of the things we saw that they all had in common was a lot of, and we we actually do it too. It's nowhere in that kind of scale. But have you noticed that you you're always it's not like you're stuck in just one business. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you you're do you have you know you may have one business that that's very very successful, but you're all you're also thinking about working on other business ventures. Like, mm-hmm. and that's what all these entrepreneurs all have in common. It's like we know for Elon Musk. I mean, the guy started off with all these electric vehicle cars where. You know he's got he's all he's got a space program on top of that. Yeah, you know, so SpaceX, it's like yeah. <laughs> SpaceX. So it's like you know yeah. to, to to people who are kind of looking at it like you know, isn't one business enough for you? <laughs> like yeah. you also want to you know. So it's like you know Mark Cuban is the same situation. Mark Cuban is is a tech guru. Yeah, yeah. You know his first business was tech. How did he end up owning the Dallas owning Mavericks? The Mavericks yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like. You know, there's still, you know, and as you see him on Shark Tank, he has invested in so oh, many yeah. other businesses. He owns yeah. multiple or owns portions multiple. of multiple businesses. Yeah. His portfolio is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because so, it's, I mean, it's always wanting to create something. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's part of the, uh, entrepreneurs are kind of like, like artists. Yeah. You know, they're like a painter or an actor or a writer or a musician. Um, whatever art form it is, to me, entrepreneur is almost like an artist because they constantly want to create something. They're always looking for something new or innovative to create or an answer to a problem. They're going to find the solution. They're problem solvers. So 
Now, you, so you just said the key sentence right now that was, that is a gem that was taught to us mm-hmm. right there when you just right now. Mm-hmm. It's an answer to a problem. Yeah. If there's a problem, that's you a, can solve it. And that's that the you biggest, can solve it. That, yeah. that, is the, that is the mantra of every mm-hmm. business. And that's what we did with our second business was we owned our first business and we had a problem, not with the first business, but uh, I don't, I don't want to say too much, but basically we were having an issue getting certain things for our business. And I was like, if I'm having this problem, other businesses like me are having this problem. There's got to be a solution for it. So therefore the second business was an answer to that problem. And so now our second business feeds all other businesses that are having that problem. So our second business is the solution to a problem but in so many words. <laughs> it's so, but it's, it's interesting how that happened because that tends to happen with a lot of these entrepreneurs where it's mm-hmm. like on the original business that you're in, somehow you, you end up noticing a problem that not only you're having, that you have the light bulb, like you said, of other businesses but be having the same issue too. I mean, it wasn't your original thought process but in the process of doing it you discovered something new right yep um you know another thing that a lot of those entrepreneurs have in common uh, i was reading an article the other day that popped up um like you said elon musk mark zuckerberg uh, all those uh entrepreneurs they have a lack of sleep yeah. and i was like oh that makes complete sense that's why i have insomnia <laughs> like i yeah. sleep four or five hours a day and then the article says that, yeah, a lot of the entrepreneurs do that because your, your brain is constantly going and thinking of new things. You're trying to think of problems or answers or just solutions, just constantly going so you can't sleep. And Absolutely. also you work a ton. You work Absolutely. a 100 hours. So, so I, I equate that to you're playing. You are constantly playing chess yeah. in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constantly. Yeah, yeah. This this game is you have never ended this game. <laughs> it's never over. It's a just it's never infinite over. game of chess. Infinite game of chess. The pawns just keep moving around the board. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so what business would you open then? What what would you what do you what are your plans? What are you thinking of doing? Without well, giving away too much information. So I mean it's once again, how kind of like we just said, like it's based on answering a um, solving a problem yeah. that um, that can uh, help with the convenience of people. Because now it's it more than ever, as we can see, it's, it's about convenience. How can you make people, you know, the life of anyone easier with you know whatever it is, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's you know content or whether it's an actual product. A service, mm-hmm. you know what? The, every business that you see, it's it's taking on something that has that was established, but they, they made improvements upon it because times are changing, and you have to adapt to to uh, to different lives at this point because mm-hmm. not everybody is working the nine to five. Not everybody has the same set schedule, so you have to make things a little bit more convenient to people that are, you know, in different spaces. More convenient for people, but also more accessible to more people. Yeah. Yes. Because not everybody has the same access as everybody. So Absolutely. that's a key thing too. And it's interesting you said uh, Walmart before because 
uh, you said that people's schedules are changing, um, especially with school back in, in swing now. A lot of schools aren't fully open, so there's kids still at home doing online schooling, basically homeschooling, um, because there has to be a parent there. Yeah. So now their schedule's changed, and so they can't go to their 9-to-5 like normal. Um, they can't go to the grocery store like they wanted to. You know, their kid's at home the whole time, so now they're finding new ways to get product and groceries. So it's smart that Walmart's pivoting to that delivery system. Yeah, and, and just for, for based on what you're saying, I mean, if I'm a parent that is looking at it where I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at home, you know, mm-hmm. I got my kid here, and is it worth me to take off the time to actually go outside and try to run all these errands where there's a service for just a little bit extra that I, I can pay off for a year in advance where now I have access to the service mm-hmm. that can come to me and make my life a little bit more easier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's a convenient aspect. I mean, great. Not everybody is in that position <laughs> um, because it's still, because at the same time too, on the flip side, when you look at it too, you can also look at it as this is another bill that you're adding to everything else that I have. Yeah. Right? Another subscription. Another subscription. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's the other side of it too, where it's like um it's it's you also have to be responsible in that aspect of of seeing what really works for you. Right. You know, because it can get out of hand. I mean, it the it, it has become an a la carte situation where it's like, I if I subscribe to to Netflix, I subscribe to Disney, mm-hmm. I subscribe to HBO, I subscribe to Amazon, I subscribe to Walmart. It's like, you know, it, yep. And you you're a cord cutter because you cut your cable bill, which was one hundred and seventy dollars, or some crazy amount. But now every subscription added up, you're paying two hundred dollars. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah, it's double-edged sword. Double-edged sword. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How do you? Um, well, I know LA, I don't want to talk about COVID, um, but I know LA is like on lockdown still. I know, like production. Have production started back up over there, or how's it going over there with production? Well, filming wise, it's been um, for like theatrical filming it's a little bit more tougher because um the union has really put in place that all these guidelines and measures have to be put Mm. i mean clearly with all the changes that are happening like as far as the six feet distancing the uh amount of people that can be on set um right it's uh you know the constant test um difference it's just you know, just this week, I, I well, I'm saying it's last week, it's Monday. Uh, <laughs> last week, I should say, um, I had to work on uh, two shoots, mm-hmm. and I already I had to take the test twice. Oh wow! Um, yeah, because they're two different shoots. So oh, yeah. yeah, so just on that aspect, um, it's uh, it's interesting because at the same time, like it's it's you want everyone to be protected. You know, you it, because we're such a this is such a an intimate type of field that we're in, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's 
a lot of collaboration and stuff, but right. it's expensive. I mean, these tests are not cheap. So right. unless you're, you're, you know, you have a budget, your studio, or you have a really good backing, like that's why and as independent filmmakers, how are you going to be able to shoot anything? I mean, because the insurance alone to cover yeah. this, it's, it's not that many insurance companies are going to want to cover right. COVID. For an independent film crew. For an independent film, and yeah. And the insurance and also the testing of the COVID test, the price of that. And then also the regulation of how many people could be on set. For most big budgets, big productions, you need a ton of people on set. People don't realize that there's usually about 15, 20 people behind camera at any given point in a in a scene you can see two people on screen but there's 20 to 30 people behind them right. on the camera right. uh, and so if you're limited to 10 people i mean you have to have a skeleton crew just to and you can't you can't do the film or do the tv series whatever you can't film whatever you're trying to film in the quality or way that you want to when you're limited to 10 people Absolutely. You can't have a gaffer and a sound guy and a DP and director. Well, this is what's interesting now um, as far as anyone. So anyone that is that close to the talent from director to the DP to um, sound, they are all required to put on the different shield masks. This This isn't the regular mask. We're talking yeah, about full-on face shield. Yeah, the right shield required, thing. It is required. Required. Oh, wow. Yes. And it gets tough because clearly, you know, while you're in the moment during a day, you know, people can forget, you yeah. know, because you're moving, you're moving things, you know, constantly and stuff. But the minute you get anywhere close, it is required for you to put that on. Whether you are the director, your DP, sound, um, ca- uh, makeup, yeah, everyone, any department, any department that's that close to, to talent, it is required to put on a face. And that, that's got to hinder your job. You know, you've got this big shield, <laughs> yeah. and, you, and there's a glare. Like there's lights everywhere. It's it can get hot on set like yeah and a director if you're trying to look into the the eyepiece of your camera like you can't do that like that's just <laughs> yeah yeah you just you just named every single thing scenario that yeah scenario and that's so that's you're you're naming all those on the behind the camera mm-hmm. imagine the actors and the actresses now especially with their intimate scenes right yeah, so work? now they uh so it's a bit of controversy (laughs) (laughs) but what is being currently done right now is so i mean once they get to a certain point before they get to the six foot within the six foot distancing and if there has to be any intimate kissing or or love making whatever it's being done with dummies with dummies Yes, actual dummies. We're talking full-on makeout with a dummy. Okay, so for setup? <laughs> no, <laughs> for shooting. What? Which? Yes. How does that even work? <laughs> Wait. Okay, so like an OT, uh, OTS, like if you have a shot, an OTS shot over the shoulder. 
and uh, they're like making out you so you can't really see the back of this person that's such just a dummy it's not even a yes. double or the original yes. actor absolutely uh, so, so one, one of the, the yeah the whichever actor they're doing the the um, pov of they're making out with a dummy so that's so that's for intimate scenes. But I wonder how they're gonna do or how they are doing dialogue scenes. So say there's two people sitting at a little coffee shop and a small table, and they're sitting across from each other, and they're clearly not six feet apart. I wonder if how you can't have a dummy sitting there. You know, <laughs> two profile shots. It's a wide shot. Right. So I'm wondering if they're if they do a split screen. I wonder if they lock the camera down and then record one actor on this side do their scene do their dialogue without anybody sitting there and then shoot the other actor on their dialogue without anybody sitting over here and then splice the two together well what what they've done in those instances is so they know you know they pre-prepped for this shoot um in advance of knowing you know, mm -hmm. these are the type of scenes they were going to have to shoot for these actors and stuff so what they would do in that instance is that they would quarantine quarantine yeah the actors for like five days. You know, yeah. Well, more than that, they've oh, really? actually they're doing them for a minimum of two weeks. Two weeks minimum. now. Ooh, fourteen so, days. So I, so I've literally I've spoken to several agents actually last week that were talking about um, a couple agents and producers um, that have their shows that are trying to figure out how they're doing it and how they, some of them are actually starting back. So a big major uh, point that they've Come up with is the quarantine aspect that before they start shooting uh the entire cast has to quarantine for a minimum of two weeks before they actually start shooting so then you know by that time they would know you know they're okay but one of the issues that the um the agents were, were telling us was that to to tell actors for two weeks <laughs> To, to that they have to be in one place and and what's trippy is that they're they're not really supervised mm. because the they're they're given the onus of like okay we they're putting them in a specific location but for two weeks they're they're they don't really have access to do anything like they're supposed to be there to shoot two mm. weeks after but for two weeks, one of the issues that they were saying was that it's tough to 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 tell an actor to to, to stay put for two weeks. Yeah. So it's it takes a lot of uh, management and babysitting in that aspect. Because for two weeks for nothing. For, for two weeks for just two to weeks film for, nothing. for another the, month or for so. Yeah. 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 So that's one of the big issues that they're having as far as they. They constantly have to periodically check that. I mean, because you can imagine. I mean, I don't want to. It's I don't want to generalize and say all actors or, or entertainers, but to kind of go into the aspect of what you were mentioning that entrepreneurs are artists in a sense. We constantly like to move. Mm. It's hard for us to stay put in one place mm. for too long, right? So imagine being told that you have to stay in one specific area for two weeks. That's that's what makes it more difficult because now you have to you already had contingency in place because we obviously know a lot of things can go wrong and you want to prep for that mm -hmm. but now you have all these extra fringes that you have to add to the budget 
part of this budget is going to go to two weeks of nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Try to justify that to your uh, investors. Investors, right? yeah. <laughs> crazy man on top of the cost of the um covid tests that's just yeah it's gonna hinder a lot man um yeah. it's funny that uh we started out the conversation with i thought you were doing a commercial for the harvard business school <laughs> <laughs> and you know why because you were your posts um you were saying saying whatever you were, you were saying stuff in french and that's why i didn't know what you were saying oh <laughs> So to me, it looked like a commercial, like a French commercial or something. Like, cause you do a lot of voiceover work um, in French. So I thought it was literally an ad. I thought it was a commercial. Damn. What were you saying in the, uh, do you remember what you were saying in the post? Yeah, so I mentioned. So wait, say it in French first. <laughs> so I said, so I said, tu connais Superman, voici Harvard, man. Which, which, mean? uh, which means, so. Everyone knows Superman. Here's Harvard man. Oh, okay. Because you had the Harvard shirt on. The Harvard shirt, yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, so it makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should have had subtitles on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's and the other. Here's the other thing too that's interesting that's happening. Um, not only from the production aspect, like even so, because we we also have the film festival. We've had our film festival now for. Four years this year would have been the fifth year that we mm -hmm. do in um, North Hollywood at right. the Noho, the Noho Arts District at the Lamley Theaters. Mm -hmm. And the Lamley Theaters are they're they're known theaters, but they're also very independent theaters. And they're in that scenario that we were talking about as far as they're not a big conglomerate like Cinemark or AMC, right? So they have to have a certain number of blockbusters of films to go in there. But they're one of the very few that actually are big proponents of film festivals and independent cinema. So you would see, you know, you if you would go to their website or their lobby theaters, you would see okay, you see all the big films that you all know about that are anticipating. But then you would also see some other films that independent films of quality and that you might not have heard of or been interested in. And so they, they're champions for that, but that's been tough for them as well, because now theaters, like you we were saying, are not open right. or they're at very limited capacity. So now that even shortens it for them and for us, um, right. because for the last four years, well, three years, um, because the first year we were in Corona, the last three years we've been at the theaters doing film festivals there seven days in a row mm -hmm. um and now this year we're not we're unable to do that mm -hmm. so we've had to um pivot and uh we've pushed the film festival for late january of 2021 now right now as it stands um we're we're pushing for it to be a hybrid of if it's if things do change to go some to whatever normal it can go back to mm. um, of people being actually being able to go to the theaters. But we also we also were able to find a uh, a streaming service that we partnered up with mm. that they actually have the process in place to do a virtual film festival. Okay. So. Um, 
we're, we're, we've went through the test aspect with that, um, with a virtual aspect of doing a, a film festival to see how it would look like. Right. Uh, which is, it's completely different. <laughs> I mean, great, right? It's a whole new world. It's completely different, but mm. it's, you know, you have to adapt. I mean, we have to, we can't just be a dinosaur and, 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 you know, when literally things are, there is no other, there's no other, no other option. You yeah. have to adapt to it. You know, things are, are, are virtual until they can get back to, yeah. to being forced. on. All forced to. Yeah. We're all forced to it. So, uh, and we're obviously not the only, the only ones that are doing that. Like basically almost it's, it's just now that some of the, uh, film festivals in the other parts of the world are starting to have um, in-person um, screenings and stuff with it, still with the six foot distancing stuff, but all the major festivals, I mean, between Khan, Tribeca, mm-hmm. um, Toronto, Toronto, Sundance. like Sundance, you know, all of these have, were, were all virtual, like Toronto, uh, where I think Toronto just ended, Venice just started. Mm, yeah venice venice so yeah it's all been in a virtual and we you know it's uh, engaging it's just like how are people interacting like i actually um participated in one of the virtual film festivals and it was interesting in the aspect of like the pros and the cons behind it the pros are that it's it's a centralized meaning like the centralized locations that wherever you're watching it from on your laptop right so mm-hmm. now you're not running around all over the place where you're like, okay, I, I, I have a meeting over here. So I got to run at this side of town or, you know, this side of, of whatever, you know, um, pavilion, um, and you know, whatever you, you set your schedule to, you can all, you can do it all in one place because you're doing it online, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and it opens you up to the global aspect of, because now you have people from all over the world that are also participating. It's not just local people where like wherever you used to do this film festival, you know, whether it's in a, in a state, you know, like we're talking about um, for like Tribeca in New York mm-hmm. or uh, here, you know, a lot of film festivals in Los Angeles. Now you're online where you can actually meet filmmakers from different parts of the world. Um, how how interactive is it though? Because um, I know you you go to Cannes Film Festival every year. Did you do the online thing that they did this year? Yeah. Um, okay. So what would you take away from that? The pros and the cons? Because when I look at it, I look at it like you're going to Cannes, you're going to France. Like you get to experience a whole other country, a whole other culture. You get to dress up and go to this you know red carpet event and and film festival one of the biggest in the world and you get to meet different people in person and feel the energy and there's something to be said about that energy whereas online yeah you're meeting more people from around the world because more people have access to it possibly but how interactive is it you know how what what would you take away from it well one thing i've noticed especially with like a lot of it's it's kind of like with the Zoom situation. Like in our case, since we've known each other for such a long time, it's mm-hmm. different because it's like we're family right, at this right. point. So I don't know if you've noticed this where I've, I'm kind of feeling this because I've done so many Zoom conferences 
and and especially with the film festival, I feel like with these online type of uh, dialogue, mm-hmm. I feel like within that moment it gets intimate, but then when things are over, it's like it's it's disappears. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Where yeah, it's like the follow up aspect because right. there is like what you just said if at any point there was never a face-to-face meeting that personal interaction mm-hmm. i think there's something that there's a different kind of energy that you have when you're you have a you know in a face-to-face interaction with someone right where at where as opposed to just online because i'm starting to feel like because online can almost feel like you're watching entertainment like you're watching, you see what I'm saying? Like you, right. we watch so many things on TV, on our mobile phones, on on the internet. Where now it, you can almost file it in your head, like, oh, this is just something that I watched. Yeah, like an, a little bit of anonymity in online speaking, even though you're seeing the person and and you're hearing them and they're, you're they're hearing you. Once that call is over with that video chat, it's out of your memory. Whereas in person, there is no anonymity. You're there. You're present. Yeah. You met that person, that energy that you feel from that person, um, and vice versa, that's burned into your memory. That lasts a lot longer. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it's exactly to your point where you think about we've, we've done not to this extent because since Zoom, it's, 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 it's not, you know, it's, it's only been taken off within the last year or so. Mm-hmm. We've done other types of, uh, not just me and you, like we're saying, like in general, everyone has done different types of video conferences right. and stuff, right? Yeah. But when you when you actually think in your head, do you remember those more or the actual interactions you had with people? Exactly. Right? Like the actual yeah. time that you hung out yep. with somebody or stuff like yeah. And there's a physical aspect to it as well, even a handshake, um, a hug, a high five. It's that greeting and that um that goodbye um in person that means more i can't can't recall a single video conference call that i've ever done with anybody in the whole world but i can tell you certain times that i've met somebody or one of my friends or uh, a time that we've had you know hanging out like that is burned in your memory because there's more physical your senses are used more i believe you know whereas online there's a lot of your senses aren't used it's just sight and sound yeah absolutely so that that's what really separates everything where it's if anything it makes a lot more work on your end where it doesn't just become an online hangout that you just happen to hang out where it's where now what is the relationship after this because you know immediately whenever people are doing these you know like just like the festival or doing a zoom people want to you know hey let's okay let's uh give our contact information whether it's linkedin or email address and stuff but mm. how many of those are actually followed up upon <laughs> right right like that's that's the thing where it's like in the moment everybody was engaged and interactive online but then a week later so it's like you started from scratch yeah it was almost like a throwaway conversation yeah Whereas in person, so like going back to Khan, you've met multiple people there. You've networked with producers and actors there. Um, 
and stayed in touch with them throughout the years. Uh, how how different is it with the online experience then? Well, the, the, the online experience, especially with the new people that you're meeting. Um, are you in like a, a, a chat room? Sorry to cut you off, but how does it work? Like, are you are you in like just a party chat? Are you in a video conference? How does it work? Well, there, there's different variations of it where there are okay. there are a lot of Zoom situations in this aspect. Mm-hmm. Like Zoom kind of has been the predominantly way of, of uh, a lot of people. Like, you know, especially with the grid aspect in Zoom where mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. they pick a certain, they would, they would, you know, narrow it down to a certain number of people where it'd be like, somewhere between 30 to 40 people for a specific um, time, you know, slot, whether it's two hours. And they, so it, it, there's a lot of in- implementation where they'll do a situation where they're, okay, we're going to break you out. You're going to put you in breakout rooms where four people for 10 minutes hmm. give you a timing of 10 minutes so that once the 10 minutes they end, so now you're able to, rotate and and meet four new people so so it's like those speed dating it is a speed that's what it is so, so that's not exactly only do you lose the aspect of there's no physical in-person energy there or any um handshake or touch or anything like that you lose all that aspect of this conversation or meeting a person but you're also limited in time to five minutes now there's pressure yeah. on top of it <laughs> completely and I could to add to what happens at this thing that happens so many times you'll have like, because you're rotating in different rooms, right? So yeah. if you have a format of how you want to do this, like, because every time you're going into a different room, you're starting all over again with all new people. <laughs> so you basically have to introduce yourself all over. So picture you're reintroducing yourself within two hours you know, five times as if you just started from scratch. Oh, right. Dreadful. I wouldn't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you get to the point where you go into another room. You're like, I just felt like I, I literally just introduced myself. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. do the whole go down to the list of who I am, where I am, what I'm doing. Like, yeah. yeah, and that becomes know? less personable, too, because you're just repeating it like like it's a script. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But. But, but the, the issue is you kind of have to do it because at the same point, you are in such a limited time that yeah. if you don't get these bullet points out where <laughs> there are many times, right. There are many times we end up in different rooms where nobody even goes through that. We start uh-huh. talking about a specific topic and you get so wrapped up into it. And all of a sudden you get the counting clock that tells you, okay, you have one minute left and everyone starts panicking at that point. Like, Oh wait, we didn't exchange any of me. We don't even know what we do. Oh, by the way, my name is (laughs) (laughs) right. And then all of a sudden it cuts off. So it's like, Oh yeah. So you got to put another quarter in the machine for the, (laughs) that's exactly what it feels like. You're right. You have to put a quarter machine. Uh, Horrible. Oh, that's dreadful. Yeah. Well, hopefully everything gets back to normal and you can go to con again next year and dress up and meet people. Hopefully this next year I get to go with you, man. Yeah. Go. Well, before even next year, man, I mean, because that's all the way in May. I mean, because right now, 
we have uh, two of the situations that we're trying to accomplish um, mm. as far as the film. Well, so I have, so there's two projects. I, one of them I got involved in as a co-executive producer. Mm -hmm. um, I'm one of the co-executive producers, uh, along with several other people. And Spike Lee is the biggest one um, mm -hmm. for it. And um, it's a bio biographic film that's based on a true story um, on um, protests during the 1950s, 60s, um, dealing with like John Lewis, the uh, past John Lewis and um, Bob Zellner, who was a uh, his family was in a Ku Klux Klan, but he actually went against his family and protested mm. and marched in, in uh, Alabama mm. for civil rights. So okay. it's, it's a very big project cool. um, that is now starting to hit the uh, festival circuit. Mm. Um, it's Good a really impression. good film. Now, Lucas Till um, stars in it. Uh, Lucas Till? Lucas Till. Okay. What's the film called? Um, uh, it's called Son of the South. Son of the South. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, so we got that. So now that is just starting to make the festival round, and, and hopefully, it'll get its chance to uh, to educate a lot of people. Because I, I didn't even know this story existed before I got involved in the project, and it's a very powerful, interesting uh, project and part of history. Mm -hmm. um, and our other uh, feature film, the horror film. So we're hoping that that will be released um, somewhere around uh, December, January. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, we're trying to make that happen. And then, which, which horror film was it? Uh, Black Pumpkin. Was it Black Pumpkin? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I so. That. I remember you said yeah, that so for that one and read through that. Yeah, we we're, uh, sent all the distribution materials to our distributor mm. for that um, in the finalization process. So it's just... That, I mean, we always knew for that one that we were going to go um, with a streaming platform for that. Right. Um, uh, because once again, like we talked about before, like theatrical is such... Well, it's the I way mean, of the world, big, I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah so you got to find streaming distribution. You but, guys, um, uh October, uh, is that like a goal or December, January, the goal? Well, I mean, because we really went September. Who so knows I, what's going to happen in October? Right. <laughs> so... <laughs> There's, I mean, it, it has to be at this point um, by um, late December, January. Uh, I mean, ideally, we would have wanted to release it for Halloween because it's of a course. Halloween film. Yeah. But um, but right now, it's looking more like uh, late December, January okay. uh, to kind of release it. Uh, so that's that's what we're looking into uh, with that aspect, and then to have the film festival at the end of january um to happen with that so okay. that's what's uh on the schedule on i the do schedule. have i mean on, yeah i mean on the actor aspect like because these were films that i like like i like worked more on a producing co-executive producing side like on that on the act, actor aspect like there's a, a film called the hyperions um that hmm. i'm not sure when it's going to come out but maybe sometime uh this year in the next couple of months, but it's a it's an anti superhero film. Oh, cool! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's a it's very it's, it's an interesting uh, twist, and uh, you know it looks like it can be a cult classic just in the way of uh, you know um, the type of uh, imagined superhero films 
that people are so drawn to, but yeah. there's, this is more dealing with a lot of human aspect. I want to mm-hmm. say, because like in a lot of superhero films, like, you know, you think from like Superman to like, you know, um, Iron Man to, mm-hmm. to you name it. I, yeah. Just like, even though we're looking at them, like they look human, but for some reason their lives are a bit extraordinary. Mm-hmm as a human being i mean you know iron man looks he's like you know his his, his, you know the amount of money and access to tech he has is like Mm -hmm. you know even though we look at elon musk like you know how does this guy do it you know iron man is like 10 times that right Mm -hmm. you know and and aquaman come on like if 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 you can breathe on the water for that long hey (laughs) (laughs) you know uh so it's like but this this film, Hyperion's has um I mean it's got there are superpowers, but at the same time there are a lot of like you know, real world um situations that, that um people are dealing with that you think it, it makes it a little bit more humanized too. So I have yeah. to check out I have to check out your, your film and and uh see it because I definitely love that genre. Yeah. That twist um, that aspect of it. The main um, star of it is uh, Carrie Ellis. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up. Which is, uh, which is you know, it, it's, it's always a kick for me, you know, like um, as far as when I came to America, because like learning English was, you know, I learned English by watching TV and movies, and it always took me into this imaginary world of like these, these you know, film and TV just look like such a, amazing place for me to just escape and just dream in and um one film that was huge was princess bride and carrie <laughs> always was that you know and yeah. to, to come full circle to be able you know never imagined to i never imagined to be able to work on a project that he saw in, you know like it's just i guess that it's, aspect of like you know what we talked about earlier everything comes full circle <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know i think also it is a good thing about especially with what we're all doing you know um you know you're a filmmaker you're a businessman and you know you're working on so many things i think with anyone i think the the amazing thing about it is that we tend to surprise ourselves with um what we're starting into because hmm. The more and more we keep doing it, and we discover all these new possibilities, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's we had no idea that we were capable of doing this, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's hard to even assess it because you're in it, but it you know when someone else actually points out to you like wow like I remember when you were just talking about this. And where you're at right now, and but your mind is like, well, like we said before, I'm still playing chess, buddy, and I've got five <laughs> more moves I gotta make. <laughs> yeah, the game's never over. The game's never over. Yeah, I appreciate you joining today, Jacques, and I'm definitely gonna check out that film. Um, I appreciate you joining today, Jacques, and if you could give me a little, I don't know what to say. Like, how would you if I said, all right, ciao or bye, see you later, chat later. What would you say in French? Like, how would you say goodbye in French? Like, what would be a good well, thing? You just gave all the ones in Italian and <laughs> Spanish. 
there was only one left and you literally hello how would you say thanks for having me um uh had a good time or talk to you later or, uh, you know something like that what would be a uh, how would you say uh, i would well i would say like merci pour pour le temps que j'ai j'ai eu la chance de parler à ce moment là avec toi que vous parlez avec les films euh, et je suis vraiment fier du temps que j'ai passé avec ça pour parler avec les personnes qui vont entendre ça et voilà bon, je suis euh, je veux dire merci et, et j'espère que tout le monde vont checker les projets que je fais et les projets que Nick Covenor vont faire aussi il est très bon intervieweur et il, il a demandé des bonnes questions et tout ça c'est très sympa Okay, now you're just showing off. <laughs> All right, brother. I appreciate you, man. Um, All good things. All good. Things. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do the subtitles on that, but <laughs> I appreciate you jumping out with me, bud. Um, it was good catching up with you, man. Awesome. All right, brother. I'll chat with you later, yeah? All right. Definitely. All right. Love you, bro. All right. Bye. Peace. 